Hello and welcome to Piano Club. Like a cool breeze over the mountains, this is episode 36, Chain Reaction from 1996. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And with us today, we have Tobin Addington back. Hello, Tobin. Hey, guys. Good to be here. So this movie came out in 1996, the same year that Nicolas Cage made The Rock. This is another action movie, I guess? Question mark. I mean, with full disclaimers coming up that in five or six movies, we'll get to The Matrix, which is my favorite movie of all time. One of the best action movies, I think, of all time. We, we've got great action coming, but this feels like a message movie, like a Greenpeace, like an environmental thing, just like, hey, let's just slap some explosions on there and get people excited, but like, tell them about the water problems of the world. Yeah, absolutely. It feels like it's being forced to be like an action movie or forced into the mold of a big summer blockbuster with the music and the way it's shot and the look. But as far as the story is concerned, it does not warrant the extreme action it's going for in this whatsoever. I mean, we'll talk about it, but like an action sequence basically consists of like Keanu running in a straight line. Slowly. Slowly, right, right. And there's no Jason Bourne type fighting. It's all very everyday type of man, like just wrestling each other in the hallway type of stuff. But I did not remember that. This is the second time I've seen the movie, and I didn't remember it being so non-action-y. I'd never seen it before. Tobin, had you seen this movie before? No, I remember the trailers very clearly from... Because I think I must have been 18 when this movie came out. And I remember the trailers very clearly, but I never really had any desire to see it. And you know, Keanu wasn't, as we've said in, the, in this podcast before, I, I had really revered some movies of Keanu's that came before this, but not necessarily because of Keanu. I didn't make that connection. So so he wasn't a draw. So yeah, I always knew that this movie was out there, but I something, something the, the whiff of something sort of kept me away from it. Were the trailers cool or were the trailers not cool? No, the trailers were not cool. I mean, th- this movie tra- traded a lot on the fact that the director had made The Fugitive a couple movies earlier and, and Under Siege too, I think, right? He made a couple of Steven Seagal movies. And those were, those movies I knew really well. And I think that is probably what A, got this movie made and B, had the sort of, like the trailer was, was in my awareness because, you know, I like those movies. But no, no, I don't remember the trailer being very good. In a split second. Eddie, did you computer model your work? No, I didn't. I was uh, too busy building it. Eddie Kasalovich will be left with the one thing no one else possesses. Cheap, abundant energy, water into hydrogen. Who'd be interested in this technology? A secret. Who wouldn't? The rest of the world would kill for. There are many threats to our way of life. Not all of them wear uniforms. Chain reaction. So it's interesting that you say that, because that's like a big thing about this movie, that this guy, it seems like this is one of his last, maybe, like, he didn't direct too much longer after this. He did direct Holes, starring Shia LaBeouf, which we're doing tomorrow in all his movies. So that's a weird timing of this. So he's not, he doesn't direct too much longer after that. But a lot of his movies take place in Chicago. We'll be back in Chicago with Keanu for The Matrix before too long. But what's weird about this guy, I feel, is that I think you're right in that those movies helped this get made, but the two FBI agents in this movie, he apparently based on the U.S. Marshals, like Tommy Lee Jones and whoever his partner is in that movie, and Tommy Lee Jones was supposed to be in this movie as uh, Lyman, as the head bad guy. So it's basically like this guy's like, hey, I'm gonna make a remix of U.S. Marshals, like with the same guys and the same kind of characters. You wanna throw me some money? And they're like, sure. And then it's just, this was the result. 
Well, he was he was really hot at the time, you know. And when you're hot, you're hot, and anyone will let you do anything you want. And it's weird to think, like after making those action movies, that this is what he wanted to do. You know, like there's definite fugitive written all over this. At one point, it just turns into the fugitive. It's just I don't know. I, I just feel like if someone really wanted to get this made, there would be more life to it in a way. It just feels like they're literally like going through the motions this movie it feels so predictable and obvious that i'm just shocked that it's the same guy who made the, the fugitive was huge i remember that being that was massive man so like i'm just surprised this is the same guy well and the thing about the fugitive the infamously is that the script wasn't finished when they started shooting that they were not only sort of writing it as they went but they were making stuff up as they were shooting it so there was a real sort of fly by the seat of your pants quality to the making of that movie and it sometimes that can give people you know, there may be some hubris involved when they think, oh, I can just do this again. And I'm not sure this this necessarily was his mindset, but you could imagine someone saying, oh, this is, if we don't have this all set, this isn't working on the page yet, we'll just fix it as we shoot it. And clearly that's not a thing that can work every time. The movie also to me has the feeling of a pitch. This has a feeling of somebody in a room saying, okay, here's my great idea. It's going to be the fugitive, but we're going to solve environmental issues for all mankind or whatever. You know, like the MacGuffin is going to be something with a heart or whatever. So maybe someone says, oh, it's the guy who made the fugitive and it's going to have this environmental message but it's going to be this action movie. It's going to start this up-and-coming star. Let's go ahead and make it. And then they didn't fully bake the script, which is where I think this movie really begins to fail before they went to shoot it. So what I found a little information on, but I couldn't find a lot, is that this script was based on a spec script. But from what I found out, like none of that was kept really like there were like a few lines and a few thoughts but like that movie or that that original script like had no Rachel Vice character very major changes that were done it seems like you're right I don't know whether whether or not they were flying by the seat of their pants but it feels like they were just saying here's an idea we'll just you know we'll uh, we'll change things up and we'll you know, let me tell you a story about when I was on set with Harrison a couple years ago and like right, boy right. did he do something but there's star power in this movie, and it just, there's nothing exciting. Like, Morgan Freeman seems like he's completely checked out of this movie. <laughs> I don't know if it's just poor writing or the way that he's acting, but, like, you know that he's kind of the bad guy, I feel, from the beginning. And I guess the twist is not that he's the bad guy, but that he isn't the head bad guy. It just, I mean, Keanu was fine. Rachel Weisz is fine. We'll see them again in almost 10 years in Constantine, where she's in another bathtub with clothes on. So that's a weird little Keanu action. I wish that there was either more action or way less action. The, the amount that there is is weird. Yeah, and not that I wanted more action, but I almost just wanted more stakes or more espionage. It just feels like they can't decide on what they really want the story to be. Like, first, Rachel Vice's framed and then Keanu's framed and they're both on the run but Morgan Freeman's trying to help them and it's just I kind of lose everything in the mix. I think it's kind of saved by the actors in a way even though Morgan Freeman's kind of sleepwalking through this a little. Brian Cox is doing his southern accent. I thought he kind of injected the movie with a little bit of fun when he shows up and and I actually like Keanu a lot as machinist Keanu. I wasn't sure. I thought I thought he was going to be an engineer or something, but I guess he just builds the stuff. He doesn't really come up with the stuff. I'm not sure what his title is exactly. I don't know why this isn't taking place in MIT or anywhere like that. They're in the middle of some warehouse district in Chicago. Yeah, there's, there's just like a lot of issues with this. What thrills me the most is like the first 15 minutes of this movie. The first 15 minutes feels like 
45 minutes edited down. If I don't know if you noticed, there's like five editors on this movie, and that opening is where I feel it the most. Like, I definitely feel like they discover the secret to, what, separating... They separate the hydrogen from the oxygen in water to create a new energy source, right? And they figure that out right away. And it just feels like that was supposed to be, you know, the first act break. But instead, it's the first act turning point. And I guess the first act break is Keanu on the run. It's just so strange. Keanu figures it out seven minutes into the movie. And I made a note of it because I was like, okay, now what? It feels like it's the third act. This is what they've been working all movie for and he finally figured it out or whatever. And here, like they try one thing that doesn't work and then the second thing they try in the movie is like the the breakthrough. And I'm like, okay, it's really like putting us, I feel, at the end, or if not the end, but like the middle of a movie and then there's like the huge explosion and then like there's people die, people are backstabbed and then Keanu's on the run and it just feels like it's exciting but it just, uses everything up in those first 15 minutes and then as soon as that big explosion happens and Keanu is on his motorcycle and he does like the controlled slide into that ditch and then he just gets framed and is on the run there's nothing stimulating I don't think anymore I wonder if one of the issues in the opening is that they have that time where they try to keep the hydrogen stable like they have one failed experiment and then Keanu does a little bit more work in his garage or whatever, and then comes back and does the second, and, and then it works, right? And I, I wonder if that was a mistake, if that, that's part of what makes it feel like this should be taking longer, as opposed to they're all just so worried, is this going to work or not? And they get there, and they're setting up, and doesn't seem to be working, and then it does, and then it's champagne, you know? Like, if you were having that moment in the first five minutes of the movie, then you would know for sure that that wasn't. There's no, you weren't being led on. Do you know what I mean? And immediately it's like, okay, this is just the MacGuffin that everybody's going to be chasing after, and now we're going to be on the run. The movie, it's trying to be a little bit Three Days of the Condor, I think, a movie by Sidney Pollack with Robert Redford and Faye Dunaway, where Robert Redford is a, a CIA analyst station in New York and all he does is read spy novels all day and one day he goes out to get lunch and when he comes back Max von Sydow and some goons have come in and killed everybody in the office and then he who's sort of this everyman he's not like a, a field agent has to go on the run from everybody this is the panic office section 917 may have been hit hit confirmed it was a quality work clean fast first rate except they overlook one item one of my people is still okay. Condor, you know him? No. Robert Redford and Faye Dunaway in danger and in love in three days of the Condor. This movie is, I think, going for that. Now, that is a movie that has less action, you know, and Joey, in your sort of con- conception of this should either have more, more or less. That has less, and as a result, it's a much... Not as a result necessarily, but it's just a much smarter movie about its about its concept and about its execution. And I feel like maybe they're just in the opening, they're trying to do too much, which then leads you to believe it's going to be one kind of a movie when it's actually trying to be something else. Definitely get a vibe that they're forcing this to be in a genre it doesn't belong in, in a lot of ways. Like it needs to be less action-packed, for my taste. What I would would have liked out of a movie or a version of this that could work is you know more science fiction like i want more than just the hydrogen separator device like i also want him on the run to find other types of science fiction devices and weapons and like i want this world to be explored more instead it just feels like weird because they want it to feel like the world we live in 
but I just don't buy it if this technology is available. Like, I just needed to see more technology. Like, I think, Joey, we were saying a little earlier, like, why is this a sci-fi movie? Why is this classified as science fiction? And basically what we kind of came down to is because they're talking about green energy (laughs) and, like, free energy and curing pollution and all that. And it just seems like this futuristic dream of some utopia that will never exist. And I just wanted to be more toned down, more sci-fi, more smarter, maybe. And, And I just think the people involved had this script and they're like, well, we need every way possible to punch up every situation if we can, wherever we can, let's just juice it up. Which is why I'm surprised we don't get more than one huge explosion. We get that one giant hydrogen explosion in the beginning, but we don't get any little uses of it throughout the movie either. You'd think that Keanu would like blow a door open or something or use the technology Mm -hmm. in some way to uh, clear his name. But no, none of that stuff. So I also think that hurts it too, that it sets up this sci-fi world and then just completely dumps it. Because he's a smart guy who really never uses his brains while he's on the run, right? He kind of just, like, slips behind things and, like, has really good timing and, like, uses his middling athleticism to barely get away from cops. You show how good he is at this one thing, and you show this amazing technology, and it's like, okay, I hope you enjoyed those few minutes of that because we're just not going to have it again until he's on a computer at the very, very end, and then there's, you know, an explosion at the end. The middle, like, hour and a half is just like, there's no, there, he doesn't do anything. Yeah, and for a guy who's a machinist, who's part of this incredible project, who built this amazing device, like, you would think that he had more devices, like, up his sleeves, like, throughout the movie. Like, he was going to be building stuff. I was like, what else is he building? He's, you know, he's an engineer. Let's, like, get it on. What's he doing? But nope, none of that stuff. Yeah, and we're also led to, to the idea that he's a really, really good machinist. Because in his lab in the beginning, when he discovers that it's the right frequency, right, that it's the right sound waves or whatever that that stabilizes the hydrogen, he just, and I could see this coming as the scene was happening. And I wrote in my notes, if he discovers this just by accident in this moment, I'm going to be pissed off, right? Like he doesn't, (laughs) even in that moment, he doesn't do anything. It's just sort of divine intervention that he, that you know his like metal lathe or whatever whatever it is is spinning at just the right frequency and then he happens to have a keyboard right there <laughs> and he just pushes the tone on the keyboard and like magically gets the right note and that does it i mean it's just so even from the beginning there the, the whole thing is sort of too convenient by half and that certainly continues as you say through him never sort of using <laughs> if you call those skills he never uses those skills ever you know again in the movie and it's it's a real missed opportunity I feel like the movie wants us to believe that he's been trying that for years or however long, but it's the second thing that we see him try is the thing that works, and there's just, there's no effort on his part put in, like, they they just don't give him a backstory, it just seems like, I, I get that that's not the movie that they want to tell, like, they don't want to show him struggling to find this out, like, they want to put us right at the very end, but, like, I don't know, like, you gotta use some kind of shorthand to make the struggle a thing that happened, as opposed to just, oh, he's just, like, a beautiful mind who was able to miraculously hit the right keys or do whatever to basically solve the world's energy problems. Yeah, and I, I feel like that really, I mean, so, like, when he finds out that it's, like, that certain frequency that triggers the reaction... Like sound and frequency and all that, none of that is shown or set up until that shot. Like they're working with lasers in the lab, right? And they have lasers shooting through water and there's no keyboard anywhere. I mean, (laughs) was he working on some dog star behind the scenes? Like, it's just strange that all of a sudden they're like, no, it's sound. And it's like, how long have you guys been working on this? And you don't know anything about sound is affecting the water molecules. 
And then even at the end, why do they need Keanu if Morgan Friedman has heard the frequency? He should just be like, you know, start the drill and get it going, you know, faster and faster until we hit that frequency. There's no need to really keep Keanu alive there. They don't. It's just strange that no one can put two and two together in this movie like that. Not only that, it's a frequency that you can find on a Casio keyboard, right? So you buy a keyboard and you just start with the lowest tone and start and start going up and within 30 seconds you'll have the frequency i mean it's it's insane it's insane i just think the lasers are there because they look cool like i don't think that, you know for the for the yes. movie's sake like i don't totally. think that they're there because that's actually doing anything but it should be the laser it should either be the laser or the sound you know what i mean like they, i felt like for me anyway it was set up like they needed to calibrate lasers a certain way in order to get the reaction but no it turns out they needed this certain sound frequency to do the reaction so i just wish they were testing out sounds in the opening and failing several times and then came up with the right sound, as stupid as that is. Or they were just testing laser sizes and color and then they found the right hue of color of laser that interacts as dumb as that is. Like, I just wish that they stuck to one choice. What I think is really funny, and I don't think it's funny in the way that the movie wants it to be funny, but by the end, the two FBI agents that are chasing them all over Chicago this entire movie, and, you know, even out of Chicago, like, they go to Wisconsin at one point, they probably go other places. By the end of the movie, they realize that Keanu is not the bad guy, and, like, the one guy puts down the $100 bet, he's like, I bet you this, this is not the kid. And to me, that's funny, because, like, the characters in the movie don't even buy the plot. There's no way <laughs> that these guys are dumb enough so he's like, this guy figured out all this science stuff and yet left $250,000 for us to find in his apartment just, like, under the sink? Like, that's not a thing that happens. Does that look like a kid is about to kill this guy then blow the whole place up in a couple of hours? Well, thanks, stinks. Thanks. We got the ballistics report back on that trooper that got killed in Wisconsin. High-powered Teflon sniper round went right through the cop's Kevlar vest. I don't buy it. He's smart enough to blow up the lab, but then stupid enough to leave a quarter of a million bucks underneath a sink so we'd be sure to find it? So what are you saying? Uh, some cowboys have gone off the reservation? Hundred bucks. Kid didn't do it. You got a nationwide manhunt for an innocent man. Make sure nobody shoots him. It's supposed to be funny, I think, because that's like the, you know, the, the aha moment. Like, these are some, like, rebel FBI agents who are going to, like, go against all the evidence or whatever. But I just think it's funny because, like, even they're just like, ah, whatever. It's clearly not this. Like, why are we even bothering? Yeah, those guys are my, they turn out to kind of be my favorite part of the movie whenever Keanu's not on screen. We have Fred Ward returning, who is Keanu's dad in Prince of Pennsylvania. So I was, that was cool to see. I don't think they ever really share screen time, maybe one interrogation scene. But him and Kevin Dunn, the dad from Transformers, as I like to refer to him as, they turn out to be some of my favorite cops here now. It's really funny how, like, in Cage Club, we get all the bad cops, except for Gone in 60 Seconds, and here we're getting, like, some pretty, we're getting pretty good cops. cops. Like, yeah. yeah, because, like you said, they pretty much figured it out, like, right away. <laughs> you know, uh, Fred Ward's even, like, betting 100 bucks that Keanu didn't do it. And they just work really well as a team. There's the third guy with them, but I don't really recognize him from much outside of Major League, uh, so I don't know his name. We're sort of jumping ahead to what was something we normally do at the end, but there's not a lot of actors in this movie that are in other things. Like, you would think 
given how much they've both done, that Keanu and Morgan Freeman would cross paths again, and they never do, which is kind of weird. Fred Ward is one of the only ones who is in something, and I think they share one scene at the end where they're, like, leaving, and Keanu's like, she rides with me, and he's like, whatever you say, kid, or whatever. Like, there's, like, some little exchange there at the end. Eddie Kasanovich, Agent Ford, you got the message? Yeah, we love LaForest printing the damn thing. What's it mean, Eddie? Plans for clean, cheap energy. Anybody else get this? Hopefully a couple thousand world-renowned scientists. I knew I like this, kid. Yeah, right, Leanne. Come on. We've got some questions answered in Washington for about six weeks. That's okay. We've got a lot to talk about, as long as everyone stops shooting at us. Doyle, split them up. I'll meet you back at the office. Yeah, come on with me. Ford! Dr. Sinclair and I ride together. All right, come on, both of you. And another actor who's been in a ton of things and who shares a Cage Club Podcast Network connection with the three of us, who's in this movie for 30 seconds and maybe my favorite 30 seconds of the movie, Michael Shannon shows up as a flower delivery boy in, like, his fourth movie, and he's never crossed paths with Keanu again either. So, like, these guys who have been in so many things, and, like, this seems like a... Like, it's not a huge, huge movie, but I think the budget was something like 50 or 55 million, so, like, it's a big enough movie, and they just never cross paths with Keanu again. But let's talk about Michael Shannon being just, you know, basically an extra and just so young and so skinny. Yeah, I would not accept flowers from that dude. (laughs) (laughs) Step outside the van, please. Why don't you bring your invoice sheet out with you? Do you know if the order originated at this shop? Uh, I don't think so. I think uh, it was a wire from Georgetown. Mind if I take one of these? No, sure. Have a nice day. Yeah, that was a shock. I, uh, Joey, I was you were just like, look out for a uh, crazy cameo, <laughs> you know? And so I had my eyes peeled. I thought I saw Eli Wallach at one time. As like this, There was an old man in the lab. Uh, I thought I saw Sam Raimi at one time wearing a uh, blue jumpsuit standing next to a van because he pops up in weird places from time to time. Like, and I thought I saw uh, John Favreau at one point because there was like a fat guy with an afro running around. But no, it, it all turned out to be uh, the Michael Shannon shot. And I'm glad that Tobin's on this episode, because the last time we talked about Michael Shannon was on the World Trade Center episode, where we are just like, we would not accept help from that guy, because we thought that he was going to be some kind of nefarious guy who comes down and, like, causes havoc at 9-11 at Ground Zero. And here, you know, you don't want to take flowers from him. He just gives off a creepy vibe. Oh, man. Yeah, he is inherently shifty. His voice, too. There's something so so distinctive about that voice. I couldn't believe when, the, when he showed up on screen. I had no idea. I knew that, you know, from the opening credits, you see the... You know, you know a lot of the names in this movie if you pay any attention to actors. But that was a real surprise. I wonder if he auditioned to be one of the hitmen that worked for Morgan Freeman. Uh, and they were like, dude, you just got a presence. We need you somewhere in this movie. Like, let's just give you the complete opposite role and make you the flower delivery guy or something. But yeah, I, I thought about that because there's those two hitmen that sort of work for Morgan Freeman chasing Keanu down. Which, which at the end, they keep coming after him, even after everyone's life's endangered. It's like, I'd be like, dude, just get in the basket with us and go up this mine shaft and escape the explosion but the guy keeps coming at him with a chain or something i'm like guys the fight's over just escape <laughs> his uh, honor is it needs to be sated there let's talk about not technology in terms of the energy but technology in terms of the internet <laughs> and how this does not help this movie age at all either about how there's a scientist who's like 
I want to make sure all of this is uploaded to the internet. And they're talking about faxes, and like fax machines play like a huge role in this mm-hmm. movie mm-hmm. about you know things being rerouted through Beijing to send to Rachel Vice to say like to frame her, and then Keanu sending faxes that are like thousands of pages, I guess, to like thousands of scientists in the FBI, you know. I don't want to keep comparing it to The Matrix because we're going to talk so much about The Matrix, but, like, The Matrix, in a way, like, you know, there's clearly outdated cell phones, but, like, there the technology sort of makes sense. Here, it just, it just does not age well, and it's just, like, a relic, and I don't I don't know how, how else to better display that on screen, but it's such a, in a way, such a key component to the plot that it just, it does not do this movie any favors. This is a place where I think more research on their part would have been helpful, right? I, I got to college the following... I mean, I was on the internet at, in 1996, and then I, was, it, I got my first email address at school, and I was late, I think, probably for my peers, getting my first email address at, at school in 97. And so, so I know for a fact that scientists had a much a greater facility with the internet at the time than they do in this movie. And as with all the other shortcuts in terms of the, not just the sort of actual, the MacGuffin hydrogen extraction deal or and the lasers and all that, but also the sort of the, day, the day-to-day stuff of how science works or how scientists worked. I feel like if they knew that, it would be a smarter movie and it would be, it would be better just for having that stuff being more realistic. You know, you can't fault entirely a movie for not knowing where technology is going to go, but if technology is being used at the time, it's it's probably worth their while to sort of talk to a scientist. Yeah, I mean, the internet was fairly new, but I mean, I don't feel like they're using it in like an incredibly fantastical way, but it's just funny how it's portrayed. Like, I, because it wasn't the internet created by scientists to avoid stuff like using too much paper, you know, like we'll just send you the data on a screen and you can back it up on a file or something. I do like how they use it as that whole, we're going to free this information instead of charge for it and just put it up on the net. But a lot of that feels like what we're just getting around to now also, like the capacity to do that. I guess the main thing I was thinking about as far as all the fax machines and all the printouts and all of that kind of thing, it's like a movie about conservation. And Mm. it's saying, look at what technology is doing with that. Like we had, the guy even said, we had to level a forest to print out everything you sent us. And so were they? just using it in a way of irony and saying you know here are some of the uh, funnier perils of dependency on technology and then on the other end they just really missed the mark of the future and you know predicting where technology was going to go but this was a tricky time in 96 because I wasn't I wasn't necessarily online I didn't have a connection to my house for another year or two so it's just like this weird mix of not knowing not knowing who to ask and be it up for the sake of fiction, too. My favorite piece of underutilized technology in this movie is the telescope that they go visit. They keep talking about Keanu Reeves. It tells Morgan Freeman he's going to go stay with Maggie. Maggie is this woman that he lived with and worked with. And he tells Rachel Weiss, who's oddly already sort of jealous of this or something. And then so they're going to go out to see Maggie. And they're clearly being coy with who Maggie is. And so then you get this science porn shot of this huge telescope it's like observatory <laughs> telescope and and i'm thinking oh my god this is awesome maggie is going to be the telescope how how cool would that oh. be you know that they've but no maggie is this woman who is like looking at through the telescope in this leather jacket and then like that's basically it that's all there yeah is she, to who it. Who does nothing? She's just a former fling that will hide Keanu and just trusts him and knows that he didn't do it, just feels it in her gut. It's not like she's a scientist they need to get to to help contact the missing doctor or anything like that. 
But I was happy to see Keanu back at the observatory uh, the last time being there at the Rush Rush Paul Abdul video. Spending oh, some time at the observatory. Wow. So he's, he's back again. <laughs> what I thought was really funny about the Maggie part was that her her, her storyline ends when she like gets Keanu to the payphone and connects him or whatever, and then he runs off and the cops show up, and she like runs up to that one cop and knows the cop by like a first name, yeah. and he just says when they're like, "Oh, Maggie, like what? Like basically, what did you do?" And then we just never hear from Maggie again. <laughs> like she served her one purpose. Oh, I don't, I don't know. It's just and, and, ooh, it's and, not great. And that's why I think you could have eliminated her and just had it be the telescope. And then it's a joke. It's a funny thing. It's an automated telescope, and they're they're hiding out there. Rachel Weisz can get on line and discover all the stuff she's going to discover he makes the phone call like you really honestly don't need her in the movie at all um, <laughs> and i think it would, would be better probably without her yeah i think this is one of the few things that she doesn't rock an american accent in that i've seen her in. that was kind of surprising her using her natural voice right i think if i'm not mistaken rachel vice i always feel like she's putting on an american accent and stuff but that was that kind of threw me. I was like, "Wow, she really." I, I don't know. I buy I buy her as the scientist physicist type, but you're right. Like she is literally baggage. It would have been a lot cooler if it was just Keanu on his own. I mean, maybe it would have been too fugitive, but so what? Like if that's what the story dictates, I really feel like go with those instincts. Instead, it almost feels like, well, you, no matter what, we really want this to feel and seem like a blockbuster action movie. So he needs a damsel. He needs a mentor. He needs, you know, an old flame. He needs all these things that you would find as tropes in those movies from time to time. And they just really don't feel necessary or integral to the story, really, at any point. I mean, all you really need to know is he created this technology. He's been framed for killing his colleagues. It's being used for nefarious deeds, and he has to get to the bad guys before the cops catch him. I mean, it's very clear-cut, and they try and make it more complicated than it needs to be. Well, when they set up that romance between him and Rachel Weisz, like, I rolled my eyes, because like, it, it feels like nobody wanted that to be a part of it, but some producer somewhere was like, we need to like have them have some kind of romantic subplot. It, they're just like, when I guess when they're hiding out somewhere and he's like feeding her some weird canned food I think and she's like oh is this how you is, is this how you woo all the ladies and I was just like oh god not right now like everything about her and her character and like I agree like it's just all, it's all excessive like it doesn't need to be there and it feels like oh we need a reason for women to want to see this movie because they're gonna be like they're only gonna be interested in the relationship between the two people and blah 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 yeah it does a disservice to her and to the movie I think now don't get me wrong I am not suggesting that Rachel Weisz not be in this movie I would not suggest Rachel Weisz not be in any movie I love Rachel Weisz in sort of every way that you could I think she's <laughs> I think she's amazing I think she's totally underutilized here and I think that they do a little bit to try and make her oh look she's the she's like she's the scientist right she's got all the, the degrees on the wall and he's just the machinist so they need to work together in order to do and to do what they do but really she is just there Mike, as you said, as baggage, as a damsel in distress. And it's it's hard for me to see the, an actress that I know is as gifted and fantastic as Rachel Weisz to sort of be trapped in that kind of a role. Maybe this sort of helped move her to another level, which is in terms of her sort of Hollywood stardom. But it's, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a little sad. It's a little sad. Yeah, I would think that Keanu himself is all the women would need to 
go to this movie or at least agree to see it with their boyfriends or husband. Yeah, like you say, it's too bad because there's room for her character to do stuff. Like, I feel one way that I liked the way she was used, and one thing I actually will give this film credit for is it because it knows, like, deep down it's not an action movie, they don't make Keanu an action star Mm -hmm. per se. Like, he doesn't have any hidden abilities, you know? He can't fight. He basically, like I said earlier, like anytime he's being, he just runs in a straight line to get away from things and catches a bus or catches the train or dumps in a taxi or climbs a bridge or something. But uh, the one fight he gets into, it's just sort of a scuffle. And it is Rachel Weisz who takes the back lid of the toilet seat and cracks the guy over the head with it to save yeah. him. So, you know, you could see these little things of like, if they weren't so hung up with the relationship, she could have been helpful much more or, util- you know, used a lot better. Or just developed in any way. Developed, yeah. And to be fair, he did just shoot someone in the scene before. And and that has no bear... Like, that, he does not seem overly troubled. But this was such a 90s thing, right? Where you, like, shoot somebody and you have one moment of, like... Oh, and then you like move on with your life like it's <laughs> like oh i'm just i'm just in this movie it's like this false impact kind of way of storytelling and i get the sense like when they go to maggie's again like they go to maggie's they walk in the observatory and she turns around and he's like this is maggie and then they cut yeah they cut away from that scene it's not like they stay there and she's like oh hey i saw you on the news come with me i'll get you some food this and that <laughs> this is my girl this is this and that and all this but no it's just like so shortcut storytelling and you know five editors what do you expect really the coherence kind of gets lost in the in the middle of this film one scene that i love and i don't know if it is coherent to continue that train of thought and going in a completely new direction is when they're on the run and they get into that like fan boat on ice and they're just rocketing across that frozen lake and like is that really the most effective way to get from one place to another because so in terms of shooting it they can only do like a couple takes at a time because it was so so cold and like this movie like is filmed in winter in Chicago they're walking through frozen ice like they are this this does not look like a fun movie to shoot like they're outside a lot at night in water on ice just miserable but Keanu and Rachel Weisz get into this volunteer firefighter fan boat on a frozen lake and he just tries to get away and it just like spins in circles for a while and then I guess eventually he figures out how to drive it. It's like he called Tank. It was like, Tank, I need an upload. I need to know how to learn how to drive this fan boat. And then somehow, not only do they get where they need to go, but then he's able to send the fan boat empty back across the lake. Like, he becomes a master of this thing that clearly when he gets in, he has no idea what he's doing. Yeah, I just thought that was unbelievable i mean not in the sense that he it's not possible but in the sense of what am i watching at this point like fan boats start rolling up and i will give the firefighters this one thing they look like sci-fi firefighters to me at some point but it's just because they were trying to stay warm they're in these huge freaking coats and parkas and stuff i was like oh they actually look like sci-fi firefighters kind of but this whole boat thing like first of all i was i've never seen a fan boat on ice before like that that was just hard to comprehend at first like just that they do that but what (laughs) it just reeks of someone mandated that this be in the movie or something because there's like you said there's so many better ways to do this at this moment i don't even know what what is going on i I don't either i was at a loss at this point there's no excuse for this there's just no (laughs) excuse this is just terrible this is a bad episode of airwolf at this point I will say this, though, like, I mean, I do believe it's cold out there because when Rachel Weiss is like, I'm freezing, <laughs> I, I 
I was like, oh my god, someone please, I believe this is like the this isn't even acting. I did totally buy her in this role because she's just cold the entire movie and looks it too. They're selling that, but this fan boat stuff. The scene where Keanu's being chased and there's like that bridge sequence. Sometimes the temperatures were twenty below zero oh, when they were god. filming. So Jesus. just just know that that's a thing that they had to deal with as well. I think what's kind of interesting is this whole movie, there's the snow everywhere, right? And it's about converting water into energy. So I wonder if they were trying to, you know, lay this background where they're like, if this gets into the wrong hands, water is everywhere. It falls from the sky. It's frozen. Like all of this can potentially be Uh. weaponized. That's where my mind started to drift because of boredom of lack of interest no i really believe like it it was just probably a matter of timing and filming the movie okay we have the location we have the setting and it's the middle of winter so we're going with it maybe i'm giving the movie too much credit for that whole water is everywhere thing (laughs) yeah it would maybe would have been cooler if that had been an actual thing because you could have had a at the end when morgan freeman's giving his horrible speech about what people want you know and it's just like oh this shit again like i can't (laughs) believe morgan freeman is giving this speech at this point power and money is that what this was all about (laughs) i'm afraid it's a little more complicated than that eddie he was a 60 year old scientist who did nothing but good and they put a bag over his head it was a mistake last thing i wanted was for something to happen to alistair but a decision had to be made So, who made the decision? You? That's my job. That's what I'm paid to do. I'm paid to do dirty work. The work people don't want to know about. People want to live in their split-level homes and eat microwave dinners and watch color TV. Is that what you think? It's, oh, God, I couldn't believe that was Morgan Freeman. Can I tell you my two favorite things about this movie? Well, three. First is that Rachel Weisz is in this movie. That that's automatically right. wins it uh, a clap from me. The, okay. The other two are one. I think it's it's admirable going back to the beginning. They don't hold back on the explosion of that lab. Like it it does decimate block after block after block. Now it doesn't come to anything really. Like there's no like death toll. There's no like how, what a horrible thing this would be. Like it'd be on the news constantly, right? But that. But anyway, so they don't follow through on it. But they do. But they do make the explosion serious. They follow through to the extent where the police ask the FBI, like, why are you here? And it says, well, that explosion took out three city blocks. The president called my boss this morning at three o'clock in the morning. He wants answers. And, like, that's sort of, like, all the follow through, I guess, the film thought it needed, right? I suppose. I suppose. There are a lot of, like, after effects that they could have followed up on and just didn't show. Maybe it's a pre-9-11 thing versus post-9-11 thing that's possible. Although CNN was, by this point, an actual going concern. So cable news was a big deal. And they do use the news. But anyway, the the actual explosion, I think they they don't hold back on that. I thought that was good. And then there's one scene where I think Morgan Freeman's talking to Brian Cox. And it was like the the dueling goatees in this scene as they're sort of having this (laughs) conversation. And I think Brian Cox eats a gummy bear in in the middle of the scene. No way. Yes. It's some kind of red candy. It's some kind of red squishy candy. He's he's eating out of a bowl Man. in a, in a close up in that scene, and I just about fell off the couch because that was like I, this the movie. This movie is. It's not that it's a terrible movie. It's just not good, and it's not good to the point that <laughs> Brian Cox eating a gummy bear in the middle of the scene is probably his only way to get through it, and my only way to get through it. <laughs> 
I'm going to reward myself with one gummy bear for doing this fifth take of this terrible, terrible scene. Yes. Th- that's how I felt with Morgan Freeman with his cigar that he's <laughs> licking on the whole movie. I'm like, you're just <laughs> waiting for them to yell cut so you can light that fucking cigar, dude. Like, let's do one thing. Like, you got really into cigars because it's the 90s and they're on set and you just, you know, your one thing was, look, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to need my cigar. And so I'm going to let you hold it in the shot. I feel like everybody had their one thing because Keanu, we know today especially he's like a huge fan of motorcycles and so that motorcycle that he's riding in the beginning like he was the one who picked out what motorcycle he would ride to ride away so i feel like he got the motorcycle brian cox got his gummy bears morgan freeman got a cigar who knows the poor rachel vice got because she looks miserable the entire movie whatever she got was not enough yeah you know, the other thing that, that struck me, this is that now the not a good thing. Keanu Reeves, they show his photo and Rachel Weisz's photo on news when they're very first, right before the bridge scene, they're on the run. And then he's in public a lot after that scene, and never once does he cut his hair, dye his hair, <laughs> wear a baseball cap. His hair is a very recognizable part of who this character is, and he never once tries to disguise it. And I thought, as cliched and terrible as that scene would be where she's dyeing his hair, you know, and like they're in the bathroom or whatever, instead of the sardine scene, at least it would have been a, like, how dumb is he, you know? I also, will we ever see Keanu with blonde hair? I don't know if he ever has a different color hair. I want to see that. He's also wearing the entire movie that very distinct gray sort of jacket. Like he's well, it's he, like a flannel shirt, right? It was the 90s again, so I feel like Nirvana, right. Seattle, like they had to work that into this. I don't know that he necessarily needs to cut his hair because a couple scenes people see him and chase after him and he just barely eludes them but sometimes he's able to just like blend in with the surroundings like sit next to a homeless guy or just turn around and walk away slowly and like people don't see him i feel like people just are not very observant in this movie when it's convenient for the script he actually shaves at one point i think he shows up maggie's house with the beard and then when he's on the payphone he's clean shaven but that you know doesn't do anything because he's making a call that's being traced. You're just announcing your presence anyway. I I wanted to talk just a moment about Keanu's overall look in this movie. Um, It's I, it's something I noticed, I'll talk about way down the line, but I watched Neon Demon recently, but with that movie and with this movie, I just noticed how tall and big he is, like what a kind of imposing presence he can be in a way, and maybe it's because he's next to little Rachel Weisz in, in this movie, and she's kind of, you know, she's, she's smaller, but I got the sense that he was kind of more of like a big lumbering dude in this, like he didn't seem to be <laughs> all that in shape, and I just got a weird presence of how tall he actually was that I didn't get in previous films. I'm like, he's a really tall guy, isn't he? So there's a little bit, I don't want to call it a funny story, but there is a reason he's as big as he is in this movie, is because he hurt his back playing a pickup game of hockey and gained a lot of weight, I guess just because he had to recuperate and lay around. So like, he's way heavier in this movie, I guess, than he wanted to be or should be. So I don't know if that's something that they worked into the character that he is, this sort of protecting formidable foe, but he, he hurt himself, and I mean, we have that at least two-stretch movie, I've been told, of Fat Keanu with, like, The Watcher and The Gift, I think, right? Coming up in about ten years from now, so he'll be big again, but there's there's a reason why he's as big as he is in this movie. All right, because it was, for me, it was noticeable. I'm like, we're getting a whole new look for Keanu here that we're not going to see for a while. I felt like it worked, though. I don't, I, I just, again, like, I, at least with his character, and I'm not saying the movie works and, and all that, but they did a good job of just making him kind of like an everyman 
I feel like a guy would climb that bridge if he's being chased by right. police and stuff. Like, he's not doing anything aside from the fan boat thing, which, again, like, they make a point of he doesn't know what he's doing with the fan boat, even though he should be smarter than, like, he's a machinist. He should, like, fucking rebuild that fan boat and turbocharge it. But um, other than that, like, I just feel like they did a good job of making him just, like, this every man kind of guy. And and that's the thing that they did in The Fugitive pretty well, too, right? Where Harrison Ford, he doesn't have special fighting skills. He's a doctor. And so that's sort of what he, you know, he, he he's able to sort of find new and surprising ways to get out of jams in that movie as an everyman. And I think that this is just, the script is just not set up to, we don't care as much. You know, we're not, I'm not as invested in Keanu in this movie as I was in Dr. Richard Kimball in, uh, in The Fugitive. And I, and I think that because of the, as we've talked before about the structure of the, of the script, you know, as well as the, their inability to execute on the ideas that maybe some of them are pretty good, it leaves then sort of the action, quote unquote, action sequences sort of laid bare. And cl- like the climbing the bridge thing is a, is a nice thing, although the movie does kind of stop for a minute there where it's like look how cool this bridge is you know <laughs> yeah and, and i feel like it's our one big bridge scene. right right it's like we got the bridge so we're gonna fucking put the bridge on on screen you know and it's like well uh, you know okay that's fine but I, I don't know what that gets you it gets you another little sort of flash forward because as, as they're going up the bridge i'm like trinity and agent smith could very easily clear that bridge <laughs> in like a single jump uh, yeah, I was thinking Jackie Chan at that point for some reason, because I think in, in Super Cop, he runs up a steep incline like that. Not a bridge, but I was like, that is a formidable sort of thing to be doing. Like, it, It's not something a normal person couldn't do, but I was like, he better not fucking jump to the other side of that bridge <laughs> or else yeah. then, then I'm calling it quits. There are a couple of things I want to talk about. This movie reminded me of two very different things. The first one we talked about a little bit, just in terms of the overall 90s quality. Like, the soundtrack is super weird. The soundtrack is, like, super 90s. And there's weird synth music that does not exist anymore. And there's also times that there sort of feels industrial, and not industrial in, like, a Marilyn Manson way, but, like, industrial in, like, a literally metal banging on metal ting in the background of things that we're going to see again in The Matrix and stuff like that. And I feel like the music is so very 90s and quite often just doesn't help. Yeah, the music, the score is terrible in this movie. Just downright terrible. It does no favors. And this is Jerry Goldsmith, and he's... He's a big, I mean, he's composed for a ton of things. He's a big deal in sort of film, or was before he passed away. But it's terrible. There's, there's no excuse, again, for this score. Yeah, it's too bad when you know how good action scores can be. And, and, like, I just think of speed and, like, I still hear that music in my head to this day. And how much that can actually enhance or hurt your movie. And, yeah, here it's just all over the map. Yeah, I was trying to pay attention to it. Just, it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> and it hurts the movie. Like, it felt like, again, they just, they just, it's all about choices. And it, it, it felt like 
they're trying too much. I never felt like anyone really settled on anything here or connected deeply to the material on a level that it feels like honest in a lot of ways the music just feels to me it honestly felt like temp music we're just gonna insert this here for now and put this here for now and we need a dramatic sting here we need a suspenseful beat there doesn't feel like really to me like one person composed the whole movie on his own it just feels like a, a mix and mash of of insert stuff Maybe Keanu composed the whole movie in between shots with that Casio keyboard. <laughs> well, this guy did uh, has done, he did the score for The Omen, which is a brilliant score. He did the very first Star Trek movie score. He did the first Rambo movie score. He did Gremlins. He did. I mean, this is a guy who's done a million things, and some of them really, really good. And then, I mean, he did LA Confidential. He did Air Force One. This is no small, no small thing here. But this one is just like he was on autopilot. When you're doing as he often does, and now I'm now I'm looking him up here as you do three or four movies a year you can't be <laughs> maybe you can but it's hard to for me to imagine that you're doing like great work in all those movies he did he did do congo as well i don't know if you guys saw congo but that oh, monkey club that, shout out to monkey club go. they reviewed that that's a pretty terrible score too the other thing that i wanted to talk about and maybe this is sort of wishful thinking maybe this is one of mike manzi's classic i'm bored with the movie so my mind is going elsewhere <laughs> but i got a real x-files vibe to a lot of this mm. Oh, I wish there was more of an X-Files. Well, just in terms of, like, conspiracy, in terms of FBI agents, FBI presence. Yeah, and especially when they get to Brian Cox's facility at the end, you know, it almost feels like the Forbin Project or some 70s, maybe like Three Days of the Condor, but like something like those 70s conspiracy Mm -hmm. Manchurian candidate films where there's always like this evil bond-ish headquarters in the mountains or out in the in the middle of nowhere or something and I was like okay this is what it needed more of earlier is is that conspiracy vibe punch that up more because it turns out that the conspiracy is just sort of like two guys and mostly mm-hmm. just one guy yeah and we know from cage club it takes five to oh, have it a does conspiracy. take five what was that from snake eyes snake eyes yeah we've only got one and maybe a half like we're not even, i'm not even sure i honestly don't know what side of the fence morgan freeman falls down on. like i don't know if he's with brian cox because he is sort of this mentor to keanu and he gets really mad at brian cox like i feel like he's sort of he wants to help right like he, he knows that what they're doing is good and he sort of wants to do it at any cost but then when it turns out that keanu might be killed because well actually hold on I might have missed something, but, like, who is that guy in the helicopter shooting cops? Is that just, like, that's just, that's just one of the Brian Cox's guys that he hired? Right. Yeah. God, because, like, <laughs> well, well, like, Morgan Freeman is, like, this anomaly in film. Like, has there ever been a character kind of like this where he doesn't come down on either side of the fence at the end of the movie that like he's working is he working both sides like I can't I could never figure him out it's almost like they changed their mind several times while making the movie let's have him be the bad guy let's not have him be the bad guy nah, you know what let's have him be the bad guy well, actually in the end he's not the bad guy at all it's a very strange dynamic because yeah he feels like he should just be the bad guy that Brian Cox should work for him that he should be the man but at the end he almost just feels like a hitman on his own too when the movie started I was like okay he's the backer he's the money man he doesn't want this to get out for free he wants to charge for it and that's why he's resorting to murder all the framing Keanu stuff just I wished it was just sort of more accidental like he didn't intend for that to happen but instead it just feels like he was part of the plan yeah it's very confusing 
Yeah, it should be that just this stuff gets out of hand. That that should probably be what's going on with the bad guys. It's like they make one bad choice at the beginning and then stuff spirals out of control and they can't get a handle on it. The conspiracy itself is kind of an interesting idea that what what it's what I think it's supposed to be is this cabal of high political figures, um big industrialists and and like investors uh, who are sort of all looking to control the future, right? Uh, through, in this case, probably through a variety of scientific breakthrough projects, but in this case, through the, this hydrogen thing. Because uh, when Morgan Freeman is uh, testifying before a select committee in Congress and Fred Ward comes in and sits next to Brian Cox, and you're like, oh, oh, he's sitting next to Brian Cox, something's going on. I can't remember if it's a Senate or a House committee, but one of the congressmen who's on the, who's asking questions is then at the meeting that Brian Cox is having and Morgan Freeman are having at their like underground lair or whatever, right? So there's something like the idea that behind the scenes of the facade of politics and, you know, and all that, these people are actually all in a room together, like, lining their own pockets and sort of whatever else is a not only like a, a real you know 90s kind of idea but something that could have been cooler if you if it had been really played right but this is it sort of just sort of dropped in in a way that's it's like oh this is cool for this scene and then you know who cares in the rest of the movie yeah i really that's that's what i'm missing i think you definitely nailed it there because i didn't even really pick up on that to be honest i think i just glossed over that whole new world order business going on there so did i (laughs) yeah i really felt like maybe brian cox used to be a senator at some point because he has that southern accent and lots of access to government materials and things but wow like i really wish it was much more of that played up much early on or like clues dropped in or shadowy figures or we got like a deep throat type guy leaking information from the inside or something or yeah because the more we're talking about it the more like i feel like i said earlier like this needs to be one of those 70 conspiracy movies where like one guy's running around trying to figure out the truth but instead they took that and they morphed it into like they wanted it to be what is hitting now at the box office like the rock you know they're they're like oh shit maybe they saw some of that and they're like we need to compete with that so let's try and make this into that and they forced it into a corner I don't think I have anything else to say about this movie. I think we've thoroughly eviscerated the relative mediocrity of this movie. Like, it's not yeah, yeah. bad. It's just not good. It's- yeah. I don't feel great for, like, picking it apart either, you yeah, know, because yeah. I really wanted to like it. And I feel like you should check it out. No, don't say that. There's stuff like the fan boat where you're like, holy shit, what is going on there? But then there's, like, some of the ideas that are being floated around that could form a better movie. I don't know. And then at the end there, there's the longest bomb to ever explode I don't know how else to really phrase that but like at the end of the movie they set the water device to explode and it takes like what 15 minutes for everyone <laughs> to like get out of the facility until it finally decides to blow up somehow I thought that was kind of hilarious I just feel like being kind of hard on it so down, down here at the end I said if you want to see Keanu be kind of good in a bad movie check it out I just feel like you shouldn't watch this because it's like a waste of time. It's not bad enough to be enjoyable, and it's not good enough to be interesting. Like, it's just in that weird middle ground where it just exists without really much of a purpose. Yeah, I'm, I'm never going to watch it again, I'll tell you that much. I think that, you know, there, there are people for whom, you know, this comes on cable in some afternoon. It's on stars. That's where I watched it on. And so, and so if it comes on stars sometime and you're like, oh, it's Chain Reaction, you know, yeah, watch it while you're on Twitter or whatever. But I don't know that it needs your, your you know, sort of full attention. And, and I, don't, I don't think it rewards your attention. 
That is fair. Unless you want to, like you did, sort of envision this new world order and just like add your own subplots to the film, and then maybe then. But like that, that's that's like way too active watching to like actually recommend for anything. Well, you know the 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 other component to that, the, another favorite shot of mine. There's a bit where there's this van at the beginning that comes to the facility where they've discovered this hydrogen thing, and they're and they're the ones that set the bomb and blow it all up. And as they're driving away, it's a shot in the back of this van of all these dudes who've been who've just sort of done this thing it's supposed to be these like guys who work for Brian Cox I guess and they all look like Putin in the back of this van like <laughs> it's like it's like six Putin sitting in the back of this van and I thought aha this there's a there's an underlying message to this film after all <laughs> like 20 years ahead of its time well, thank you for joining us and for picking out vans full of Putin. Sorry that this movie couldn't be more enjoyable. Before we go, I do have to recommend one last time that if you have not seen Three Days of the Condor, please go watch Three Days of the Condor. It's the template for this movie done right in a very 70s style and with all the all the baggage that comes with that in a way and with some moments in that that maybe don't maybe don't work entirely but if you want to see the the sort of more cerebral more real version like more conspiracy version of this movie and maybe even a little vaguely sci-fi in places three is the condor is is a classic for a reason and it's one you should check out well, that's a very good recommendation. I don't, I don't think I've seen it, so maybe I should watch that instead of watching this. Because I just plan to watch this every day for the rest of my life. Yeah, right. Mike, before we go, do you have any last thoughts? Any anything outstanding in your notes that you did not did we not mention? Nope, I think we're good. Oh, I did want to mention one last Keanu connection was that Chelsea Ross, who played Colonel Oates in Bogus Journey, is back. He's Ed Rafferty in this, whoever that is. Oh, that okay, yeah, that is the third FBI guy then. Okay, he's the guy from Major League. Yeah, that's where I, I couldn't place him. So, okay. So he's from Keanu's version, or Ted's version of Hell in Bogus Journey, so he's back. Hooray, Chelsea Ross. For all things Keanu Club, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub. You can see all the episodes we've done, see what's coming next, listen to other shows on the network. Go back and listen to our World Trade Center episode where we dive deep into the psyche of Michael Shannon being a really creepy evangelist or helpful guy or creepy and helpful, bottom line. (laughs) I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Tobin Addington, and we'll see you next time on Keanu Club. Why don't you bring your invoice sheet out with you? Do you know if the order originated at this shop? Uh, I don't think so. I think uh, it was a wire from Georgetown. Mind if I take one of these? I'm sure. Have a nice day.